Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to have the best games we can have. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Communication breakdown! It's always the same! Fucking Zeppelin, bro, right? There you go. I'm not even going to say who I am. You all know who it is. Okay, it's Dave. (laughs) Fine. It's Dave. (laughs) Be like that. Go ahead. (laughs) I really thought it was Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I, was yeah, I know. A lot of people say I'm like the Play white stairway. Robert Plant, you know? <laughs> yeah. Play Stairway. Uh, <laughs> get the lead out, dude. But Communication Breakdown is a great, uh, that, that's a great one to start the show with, which I know, I know, Dave, you had in mind there. Because Shh, today. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. No, we got Well, we have to communicate it. Uh, that's the communication breakdown there we go so yeah (laughs) so today we're going to talk about all the ways what happens when you have a dm party communication breakdown and i think any experienced dms out there or listening to us you've probably had this before in your games it happens all the time you feel like things are clear you feel like you're communicating effectively and then for whatever reason the party does something that doesn't make any sense based on the game you're having in your head. So you don't understand the game they're having in their head. And now it's a communication breakdown. You, you're you not really on the same page, which in theory is fine, because, hey, they're playing their characters, you're playing the world, except for their characters are playing in a world that it's kind of different from the world you're trying to play it. And it causes, it can cause all all sorts of chaos in the games. In fact, I would say out of all the problems you run into, the DM player communication breakdown is probably the most dangerous you run into. That is the one that can really, that can really have long-term impacts on the game because it just, it breaks down the, call it the narrative trust of what's going on. The idea that, you know, what the DM says is what the world is, what the players are interacting with is what you're saying. Now you're all on different pages. So today we're going to talk about how this happened in our games. We're going to start off with with a with an audience question. And thank you all very much. If you're listening and you do have a question for us, please send it in to 3ysdms at gmail.com. Or you can send it to the What's Your Problem field on our website. And we get all those, all those entries, so please send them over. And today we're going to actually talk about two questions that came in through those channels. And if you have any questions of your own, please feel free to send them to us. We'll get to them as soon as we can. All right. <clears throat> so communication breakdown. Is this something you guys worry about going into a game? I wouldn't say worrying about it going into a game, but I have to say it happens to the best of us. And I've seen it numerous examples over the time I've gamed. As a player and as a DM, I've been on both sides of this fantastic, awesome phenomena. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with Tony. It's not something that I'm, I'm thinking of going in, but uh, but yeah, definitely something that happens. And it oftentimes catches you by surprise. So I feel like it doesn't true. happen. It kind of doesn't happen in the beginning. These things kind of grow over time. Like it tends to be the middle levels where you start running into them if the players go one way. Because you're starting to wrap your plots up, things are starting to ratchet up in tension. And I know for me, you know, that tends to that can cause problems. Once you start kind of throwing the hard stuff out there, that's when you can start having situations where you're describing one thing and the players seem to be interacting with something else. And then the hard stuff gets to be, you know, gets a negative reaction. Um I know, Tony, you've talked before about all the times that you've had players who are like, you're like, look, don't go in that that dragon's lair. And then the player goes and goes into the dragon's lair to kick the dragon's ass. Well, that wasn't a communication breakdown uh, or misunderstanding. That was I have had a player throughout my career who had 90 pound testicles. I mean, 
that's just how it that always seemed to roll out no matter what character he was in any form any reiteration of uh who he's playing i had a character breakdown i was a player uh i was actually playing in the cinematic universe there's a style for that believe yeah. it or not you could play all kinds of things like uh you're like a low-level street superhero uh, like i was a vampire and we put a team together and they threw the gm who was running it she said that certain powers were incredibly rare at least that was my understanding of this. So in the first mission, we we're kind of protecting this one facility. And I placed one of the guys on my team because I was the team leader. Uh, I, I seem to be always in that role for whatever reason. And had, had a great sniping position, like off in a corner, raised by himself. He was a dwarf, actually. And out of nowhere, and I looked at this, and I'm like, wow, if these guys we're facing, these undead have the phasing ability, they'll come right in there and mop them up. But that's a super rare power. Well, sure enough, they swept him <laughs> through the walls and literally devoured him. And then, like the other team, like you know, members were like, uh, like it was, it was, it wasn't a TPK, but it was a disaster. Like, so my character's leadership's in check, uh, character's dead, or he was, and and I'm looking at the GM and I'm like, the fuck, <laughs> like what happened? She's like, I told you it was out there, and I'm like, you know, finally clovers are out there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 kind of situation is always a little bit tricky, you know. And that is, you know, it, it it's when the players feel like, okay, the you know, one of the things is, you know, when players feel like, all right, the things we're facing are bullshit, and the DM's like, well, there's reasons for it. But the player's like, yeah, but it's bullshit. The DM's like, but, but, but there's reasons for it. You got to figure that out. That's, you know, you got to go stop the bullshit. Well, it's bullshit. Ugh. You know, and that's, to me, it's kind of, I mean, honestly, we'll get into that a little later. Because I think that happens a lot. Especially in, like when you roll out hard encounters with difficult powers to deal with. Now, Tony, you mentioned that your one character, the, the one player you play with, the one who always had the brass balls, you didn't consider that a communication breakdown. He just kind of always was that way. I kind of do consider it a communication breakdown because... What's going on there? I mean, what he's really doing is you're telling him this is dangerous and he's telling you, nah, I mean, that's where that's coming from. You're telling him this is a dangerous situation. You shouldn't go in there. Yeah. And he's saying, well, my character's going to go in there anyway. He doesn't care if it's dangerous. Well, he's not getting the message you're sending him. You know, this is too dangerous. Don't go do that. I think this still falls into the same idea of the character and the, and the DM not really being on the same page. This character, this player was extremely seasoned. So, like, if I start describing Tiamat and he takes a bow shot on her, he knows what he's doing. Like, <laughs> well, it's on. I want to say, for our generation, though, that's kind of unfair because level one characters in the animated cartoon Dungeons and Dragons in oh. their first ever episode faced fucking Tiamat. So, no, you cannot I mean, it set us up, one. right? For Dungeon Master was a real... <laughs> fucking cock okay so but uh i will say i'm i'm wondering because thorin that is a good point and i think that is very possible with some players that it's just not being communicated but with what tony's saying it sounds more like uh this guy is you know we we put it back into like that impulse stat right the impulse mm -hmm. character right where it's somebody who's just like i just want to see what happens i do this uh, and for a seasoned player who knows the game, it sounds like it's probably a little more that way, maybe. Um, I guess it's just kind of how you think about it. It's not that I disagree with any of that. I just still think of that as the the DM saying the world and the game is this way, and the player kind of saying, no, it's not, it's this way. I you know, even if he understands, it's still like, I mean, you're describing the one set of things. You're trying to, you're, you're describing the world. That's the DM's job. Be the world. Describe the world. Adjudicate what happens. 
you know, be the be the judge who interprets the player's actions within that world. And if you're describing the world one way and you have a player who just sort of honestly, to me, that sounds like it's it's kind of a willful denial. Right. I understand the player is 100 percent aware at a meta level of what the player is doing, but the player is still not really accepting your description of the world as you present it. So that to me is still a communication issue, even if it is like, well, I hear you, but I don't care. Well, I hear you, but I don't care is still, I would say, you know, Dave, you have, you have some therapy you know, training. You, you, I think you, you, you I would <laughs> still consider that therapeutically. No, I, I <laughs> you could this, all use some of that. I would still consider that a this, communication breakdown. Yeah. All this falls into, uh, you know, I referenced it several times in episodes, the psychology of D and D, you know, yeah. it's the, uh, how the game reads and runs behind the screen and how the game reads and runs in front of the screen is vastly different. And also it's vastly different by multiples because the people on the other side of the screen are all reading it through themselves too. It's like, I, uh, I always say when you're, when you're playing role-playing games with people, uh, which is why I think some therapists use it in therapy too. Uh, not my, I'm physical therapy, so we don't quite do role-playing unless I don't know. Might be that might get ethically gray. I don't know. Um, I'm sure it's just a couple of <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I am the dragon of massages. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the happy hour uh, therapy. Um, but it reveals who the person is when they're role playing. And I always say it's kind of like um, when people are driving. I think you know exactly how a person, how their mind is when they're driving, when they're behind the wheel, because. That is a time when there are less consequences and not consequences in terms of car accidents, but consequences in terms of somebody checking you. And when you're role playing in the same way, you're playing in a world where there I mean, there's consequences in the game world, but there's not really. So you kind of get to play out in this consequence free environment. And that starts to bring out, I think, some of. Who are you on the inside? You know, which I think is an interesting phenomenon that I see play out again and again and again. You know, Let so it's, it's on that psychology up. of D and D falls into the miscommunication. You know, one of these days we got to pin Dave down to talk about how he's seen that play out again and again and again. No, <laughs> <laughs> really, you're one of those names, Dave. We want to understand the names. Now let me build on that a little bit for the psychology aspect. I believe the player who I'm describing had one or two at this point in the, in our story arc when we're playing extremely high level, extremely successful characters. So at this part, I mean, actually he has created more than that, but the point is like when we were playing and these things were occurring that he's trying to recreate. So if you have a fighter who is completely off the hook, like reaches their, their arc, they hit level 20, they get the best stuff. Now you're playing another martial character well, you're always kind of comparing your new level three ranger maybe to your level 20 barbarian. Like that's in the back of your head somewhere. So I, I feel like that's kind of what is a driver for that. Like, okay, so I just had a level 20 character. I had a low, And now, now I'm going to push it to the limit to see if not only can I reach that level of excellence again, but, you know, can I do it? Surpass it. Surpass it. Okay. So I'm curious that car- that player was he upset that he got killed in the dragon or was he just no he's like fine roll I'm rolling up another character I, I, <laughs> yeah I need risk. that happened I mean well, he totally yeah. went with it and there was because you know this player you've played with them and there was times yeah. where he would kill the dragon 
where he'd run in there and you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, we're all going to freaking buy the farm. And then he'd shoot it in the eye with a 20, hit a big crit, take 25% of its hit points, and then we would rally around it. That also happened. Now, the same player also using our critical miss system, like, would murder <laughs> other players. Like, the wizard's like, let me look into this orb. Ugh, there's an arrow in my throat. What was happening? Ugh. It's like, oh, I was shooting at the raven on the fence. Sorry. He was, he was the, the, the Gatling gun of critical misses. That, that, that was I want to say inconsistent. That's the word I'm looking for. Well, you know, that's the thing about rolling a 20-sided die. They are, by nature, inconsistent. They are consistently inconsistent. That's kind of what we buy them for. Uh, mm. So... Yeah, that kind of sets the stage a little bit. Let's start out with uh, with, with this great reader question we got. That gets into some of this. And I think, I do think it lines up with what you're talking about with this with this other character, Tony, with uh, with, with this player we, we've both played with. Yeah, I think some of that stuff comes up here too. So this comes from a reader named Monty, and I'll read this as to the best of my ability. It's a little bit long, but hmm. <clears throat> Oh, great DMs of infinite wisdom. So let's just, let's just applaud. Wait, his you can't, you probably, I, I didn't quite catch that. If you could read that slower <laughs> and more. <laughs> I beseech you in a moment of crisis. Longtime player, over 20 years now, and relatively new DM since 5e was D&D next. So he's been playing since the, he's been DMing since the 5e playtest. Uh, so I have encountered an issue in a game I run where players have created characters that perpetually place the party in perilous conditions. It is in my nature to allow the players to play their characters in their life, and that is great and all. But at what point does risking does players risking TPKs become the point where you talk to them one-on-one? -on -one? How do you do so without coming off as outright putting the player on blast when they are, quote, playing their character the way they would act? Are they even problems to begin with? As an example... Uh, the game in question where this is a problem is Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. The party encountered a great white worm, uh, Arvateras, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I'm not I, sure I'm saying I out in the day. <laughs> Fortunately, no one's gonna, that, that's a made-up made language, so hopefully we won't get too much hate over that. It swooped down, grabbed up a mammoth that was going on its way, and the druid calls out in Draconic, Hey, big lizard! Excited to make a new friend. Another character approached a group of hunting frost giants wanting to talk to them. It is conflicting as a DM, because after a while it becomes difficult to come up with reasons for why these hostile entities would not outright slaughter everyone so as not to punish the other characters. Which comes back around to the other players. Each of them have approached me frustrated after these antics occur. They have tried talking things out in character, which did not work. But I also have a table of a bunch of players and myself that do not want to upset other players. If their foolish actions, reckless abandon, and general disregard for self-preservation only affect them, then it would be fine. And he, he, he does like our content. We really appreciate it. We always love hearing from, hearing from listeners. So again, if you're listening, you have a question for us, please send it in. We would love to hear it. So, guys, that, that kind of, Tony, this falls into me to be a similar kind of situation to what we're talking about. Except, you know, you were in a position to be able to let that guy run into the dragon's lair and die. While the rest of the party sat outside like, well, how long till he dies? <laughs> we have the big board here. One round, two rounds, three rounds. In the Deadpool. But the problem is, I mean, the, these players are doing things that are making it difficult for the DM to justify not bringing a TPK level encounter on the party. So I, I imagine this, because I do this, I mean, we've talked about boundary encounter, talk about the encounters where you're like, okay, there is a great yeah. white worm in the distance. You are to respect that. And I'm telling you, don't go that way or don't mess with him. And one of the players, instead of taking the message, just decides to mess with him or refuses to accept. Like you're describing this big, hostile, evil dragon. And one of the players says, yeah, but I'm friendly with animals. I want to go make a friend. He's not hostile to me. You're in this situation. The world you're describing is he is an evil, hostile dragon that will hunt you and take your treasure. 
you are a friendly druid who wants to convince him to be friends with you, but you're not respecting the danger I'm describing in the world. With the giant hunting party, the same thing. You're like, oh, okay, we can go, we can go talk to the giants. That's a evil giant hunting party. We've talked about how evil, kind of evil is as evil does. Evil, you know, things aren't necessarily evil. But if you're trying to describe a campaign world where you want the players to understand, you know, don't mess with the giants or their mammoths for you Skyrim fans out there. You know, you need the players to I understand that and take it to heart. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we all played Skyrim. Skyrim did the same thing. Don't mess well, this, with the giants. You go mess with the giants. Into, uh, this falls right into Tony's uh, criminally insane uh, stone giant clan to the south. That's always there. You know, he says, hey, if you want to go there, that's what's down there. I don't, I can't help you. What do you want? Criminally insane stone giants is your next band name. <laughs> well, uh, here's my short answer to this. So, okay, so you have a druid who wants to befriend the ancient white dragon or the, you know, ballsy ranger that wants to take a shot at the dragon or something to that effect. I'm like, roll me some insight. And now I throw you the lowest DC check of all that's going to happen all game. I don't announce <laughs> the number, but I throw it out. I got it in my head. It's like an eight and a half. And uh, <laughs> I go, well, no, that type of drag is not affected by your druidic animal friendship, and you're familiar with uh, that kind of beast, and it will not receive you in a friendly manner. That's your take on this. And then I'd say that to the droid. Um, I'd say back to the warrior, be like, that that opponent is like attacking, you know, a battleship. Maybe you want to have a plan for that. There's your insight. And if they persist, well, I also believe death needs to exist in my campaigns. I've said this. We cannot kill death. Guys, it's so much harder to die in 5e than it is in any of the previous editions. Respect it. Like, if it happens, then, you know, it, it's got to be there. We can't take it away entirely or everyone's just going to phone everything in. Mm. So what if, because this something like this a little bit happened in a recent game of mine. What if you tell the players, well, you know, that's an evil, that's an evil character. That's going to be dangerous. And they come back to you and say, uh, stop telling me how to play my character. Like if they consider that to be, you know, you, you, you telling you not letting them do what they want to do in the game. I'm just saying that's what your insight check provided go. Mm-mm. And if a rapid ass beating therefore ensues, I'm sorry, the gloves are off. I mean, what, I mean, what did you say in a previous podcast? It's not your job to make sure everybody survives. <laughs> I think I said something to that effect. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? No, I uh, with with this with with Monty's specific uh, example, there's there's so many there's so many levels to that. I, some of it might be I haven't read completely through Icewind Dale yet, but one I don't know why an ancient white dragon would necessarily be hunting out there in the, in the thing. It, 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 they don't necessarily. But regardless of that, there are I think there are also a couple of. Uh, like Tony did, he put a couple of layers so like so that you don't have the single point fail like we talk mm-hmm. about, right? You have multiple fail states. So in this type of thing, I think you can have multiple fail states in the same sense where uh, you're still controlling the world. You're controlling the dragon. You're controlling the physics of sound. So, I mean, does the dragon even necessarily hear this, you know? But does the druid and warrior also get these insight checks to be like, that's a terrible idea, you know, or have the dragon, you know, uh, decide to teach them a lesson, but doesn't care enough because they're insects to it. But there are multiple fail states that I think you can show to, uh, to have the danger be there, 
Um, so if they're just starting to test the world out and kind of poke things, they don't immediately have meteor swarm, right? Like like in, in Storm Kings, right? Like Tony took it out because he's like, I don't want you to speak one rune and the whole campaign's over. Like, and that's everybody's, not everybody's got third degree burns, you know? yeah. <laughs> but it definitely falls into that idea of of some of the like the impulse characters too, you know, and you have that where people because it's a game and people want to 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 explore that world and they come to the table. I would reference back to our different types of players episode that we talked about this about because everyone's coming for different reasons. So you're going to have some of those impulse people. And to tell you the truth, they're good to have at the table. Because they do create some of the chaos that makes this game super fun and silly and crazy stories, but can quickly get out of hand, too, if it's not in line with the rest of the table, you know, or if it becomes something where their fun is now ruining the other players fun in that same way. Which is, I guess, a little what we're talking, what Monty's dealing with here, which is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Dave, I completely agree with some of the things you said there. Like the, uh, you know, we, the big lizard doesn't have to hear you. The dragon keep flying away. It sounds like there were many such instances is what yeah. this email seems to be saying. So I get the impression it's not so much because because I, I that is probably what I would do. I'd be like, you know, if the druid goes running after saying, hey, big dragon, I'm probably like the dragon just ignores you. And if he does care, he probably just goes, he probably just comes and swoops over you and breath weapons the party. And if the party survives that, well, that's on them. You know, he just probably breath right. weapons the wall and flies away. And the dragons move pretty quick. You don't need to leave them in range for that long. Uh, you can kind of teach a lesson that, you know, this is dangerous about killing them, which is a little bit what you would probably do in a movie, I think. I mean, I could see that scene in a movie. Yeah. Like if you were doing like kind of like a little bit of a slightly kind of tongue in cheek, which you know, I think all D&D games need to be a little tongue in cheek. But you're doing like a, a tongue in cheek Eric the Red. Is that is that the one Eric the Red that um that with the with, with the yeah, with 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 the uh, with, with the with the friar who couldn't see Valhalla cuz he didn't believe? Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing that kind of thing, yeah, I mean, this is the scene where basically, you know, they go, oh, let's open the door. Okay, let's open the door. And now after, at the end of that, they're all covered in soot and smoking, right? I mean, that's kind of the, it's, it's, it's that kind of scene. And the giants, I mean, you can have the giants come and chase them and give them a way to get, you can, you can also have an attack come and give the party an opportunity to escape. And if the, if the party does not escape, you know, okay, well, well, people die, but you can definitely do that. I mean, yes, I guess for me, so having, you know, all, both, I'm totally agreeing with both your advices. You can basically have the, have the encounter happen, but have it be a smackdown encounter the party can run from and move on. So now you're just teaching a lesson and letting the party run away. Well, also in the term of layers. So you, let's just take the druid. The druid wants to wander up and befriend the big, cuddly, ancient white dragon. <laughs> okay, the other players, I'm going to give you similar insight checks. Okay, barbarian, this strikes you as a horrible idea. God, that seems like a really horribly over-the-top formidable opponent. What what's our druid doing? She's walking up with a bag of dog treats. <laughs> you guys aren't frozen in a cutscene. You can stop her. I'm not telling you how to play out. I mean, this really covers your ass. You've given the player an opportunity to rethink their their situation, and you've given the other players the same degree of insight. So like, wow, that would be a terrible idea to try to either poke the bear or try to offer him. You know, dog bone, okay? If usually at that point, like via table talk, the other guy's like, yo, what are you doing? You know, 
it usually never even gets that far where the players have to restrain or stop or tackle one of the other players. Well, I, I would disagree with that, Tone, because we absolutely had to restrain and hold and pull one of our players away after she fired a fireball into the grungs of the temple. So, that's, uh, <laughs> but turned into a very memorable encounter, though, as we had to retreat from the temple. That's true. That's absolutely true. And I mean, I guess the third option we're not really talking about is you could decide that that's the kind of game you're going to run. You know, we had a, we had the episode a few weeks ago, uh, actually probably uh, at least a month ago now, about whose game is it really? Whose story is it really? The DMs yeah. or the players. Most people in responding to that episode said it is a collaboration. The DMs and the DM and the player tells that story together. This kind of encounter, and we'll get to something in a moment because this has been on my mind a lot. This kind of encounter stresses that it makes that a much harder question because you're now in a situation where it's like the dm well i could make the white dragon possibly friendly they're they're, they're, they're unexpectedly trying to befriend it do i want to take that turn and say well this white dragon will hear you out maybe you have food you can give him or there's maybe the white dragon is considering you might be advantageous somehow and can use you to his best advantage do mm -hmm. i turn the game that way when that's not what i wanted this character to be or not what i intended for that character to be do the giants turn back around and be like, huh, we're going to kill you unless you give you this, give us the stuff or unless you pay us tribute or something. And they still act evil, but maybe they still engage with the characters instead of just fighting the characters. Oftentimes you have in your mind, I know I have in my mind the way the world is going to work anyway, because of the way I DM, because it's very kind of world building and system focused. I already know what the NPCs want to do. And because of that, what they're going to try to do when they're with the players, not the players can't adjust that, but if the players don't take direct action that directly makes the NPC considerate, the NPC is going to do what the NPC was trying to do anyway. This is a case where you could, and I'm not going to say I do this all the time. I'm not going to say, I mean, I, I didn't do this just this, this, this last weekend. But you could take the other approach and say, well, you know what? Maybe the players want to play a little more friendly, they can befriend the monsters kind of game. Maybe they hear you out. You know, I mean, the Frost Giants don't have any good reason to kill you. I mean, you don't have, you're, you're low level. You don't have anything they want. Maybe they stop and listen. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they intimidate you or, or they threaten you if you don't give them something. Well, you know, it kind of depends. It kind of depends on, like you were saying, Thorne, and you've said this before, you teach players the game that, you know, that you're playing or how you run a game. And Tony, this is exactly kind of what you do. You have created in Storm Kings a world where we have the ability to possibly talk our way into, out of things, around things. So we, we have learned that that is an option. And then we have very quickly learned when that's not an option, right? Because whatever, it, whatever it, it turns out, like when we're talking to Thagrim, the demigod uh, frost giant, right? We can still talk, but we're not talking him out of just like, hey, give me my shit, you know? But you've created that that opportunity. So in this way, with the white dragon, you could, or the frost giant, well, frost giant's better. White dragon, no. But the frost giants, you could possibly create it where okay, you want to talk. Well, now you're talking to these chaotic evil tribesmen. What happens with that? You know, you want to talk to the trolls, Bilbo? Be my guest. You want to try to talk your, your dwarves out of the sack? You know, feel free. Let's see what happens. But it's not necessarily just going to be, you know, a romper room, right? I mean, you, you could really take it any way you want to take it. You know, you can make it and that's kind of where this whole question comes up. And I will say, when I've put time into building the world the way I see it, I find I, I may not feel good about adjusting it in that way. Mm. I may not want to. And I may not, you know, it's the, it's, 
it's this whole idea of are you running this game just to give the players what they want or do you have something you want to do with the game that you want them to interact with and by not interacting with it the way you're trying to tell them it is they're kind of ruining it for you um or you know they're basic or they could be interfering with their story you know it's do you want to to kind of just make that adjustment so the players are interacting the way that they're trying to interact and enabling that? Or do you want to teach them not to? And then what happens if you do teach them not to and they have a negative experience from it? Because I think that happens a lot, actually. You know, where you're like, okay, well, I warned you guys, you're going at it anyway. TPK, or you get beaten up, and then the players are upset because they, they because that happened that way. I'm not afraid to have a dragon mug the party. <laughs> that <laughs> is actually happening. I mean, honestly... Up. Like, you know, someone shoots a firebolt at the white dragon. Dragon comes over and goes, look, guys, I want X amount of gold or one item off of all you. Or, you know, you're all getting some wicked freezer burn. We're going to find out how tough you are. We're going to find out if you're cold resistant. I don't disagree with that. And Thornwell, like what you were saying, I think absolutely in the same way I do. I know what the NPCs want. I know how they're thinking and I know what they're going to do. But I don't necessarily know with the way in which the players are then going to interact, how that's going to change it. You know, this is uh, same in the Strahd campaign, especially with your character, Phineas, Mm -hmm. because you have specifically thrown in things where, well, what about this? And then I have to take a step back and go, huh, okay, and kind of play with that. Like, especially with your newest idea of trying to create a, uh, a propaganda storm with the printing press that you guys found at the Wizard of Wines, you know? Um, that's not <laughs> something... Me, that, I gotta follow up on that. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that the NPCs had thought of, right? But it's something that you can absolutely begin to possibly affect in the world, too, you know? So I think those types of changes, not whole cloth, the person is now just some different person just because, but there are certain possible avenues through which something may or may not happen. Who knows? Depends on who you're talking to, right? Yeah, it came up in a game in the Woodstock Wanderers game two games ago. There was an encounter the players knew about. The the players decided to set up an ambush before the encounter and wait for the other team to come to them. Uh, The other team was actually had actually set up an obvious out in the open. You know, they weren't necessarily like 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 you guys had scouted them and heard, hey, he's just sitting there waiting for you kind of hard. So, okay, so the player set up kind of on the the map screen before that. And all right. So the so the bad guy sent two of their foot soldiers, two witherlings in to go check it out. And the witherlings were immediately shot and killed. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Oh, no, one was shot and killed. Yep. Another one came. Another one got ran away. He, so he ran back to the party and, and informed. So there was a there was an oathbreaker paladin leading up this party on a nightmare. Party knew all this. That now the party doesn't meta game, which is great. They don't know the nightmare rides ethereally. That I can go into the ethereal plane. I have looked back and wondered if I should have had one of the pixie companions mentioned that because all right i'm like all right well they've got this charger this guy who's you know they've got this big disruptive you know their leader is this real badass marshal dude he's he's looking for a chance to charge someone down and hit him with the lance he's he's, he's using and just go just rail somebody so he basically appeared from etherealness behind the party and charged right into the party's paladin yeah. um Practically killing the paladin, starting off a, a major encounter, which I kind of planned. I figured it would go that way. Now, the paladin was upset he wasn't able to talk to this Oathbreaker paladin. He's from his order. They have a relationship. To which I kind of felt like, well, you did the... I don't see why he would talk to you at this point. You, you basically set an ambush for them. You killed their... You killed the... You know, weren't, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the Witherlings weren't threatening, you know? <laughs> but you killed, the, you killed the two people on site. They attacked you back. 
I kind of feel like that was. Yeah, you know, I will. I will say as a player, uh, two things on this encounter. One, I actually wasn't even uh, going to metagame because I wasn't even like thinking along the lines of nightmares and running through the ethereal, right? Like, and I'm literally playing a, uh, an NPC in the Strahd game where he rides on a nightmare, but it's not even occurring to me, right? I'm just like, okay, we got our point. We got to do this, right? I will also say the rest of the party was not necessarily cool with wanting to try to go talk to this motherfucker. Like we were like, <laughs> no, we're going to draw them in and then we're going to kill these guys because that's our only chance. The only person that really was going to talk at that point with that encounter was uh, was Tom's character, Sir Morton. He was the only one that was planning on talking. <laughs> I think I think the rest of us were pretty good with. No, nope, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. But so so I, this happened, and it wasn't what the Paladin had wanted. And the Paladin actually, so now I had this whole encounter planned where they had pixies, the party had pixies. I was going to have the pixies turn them into either give them flying or turn them into Tyrannosaurus Rexes or great apes because I knew I had the encounter overclocked and I wanted the party to have some big yeah. extra hit points and big damage to, to even things out. I knew this encounter could go not the party's way if they didn't have that extra buff. So... I mean, I turn so 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 that stuff starts playing out. But the paladin, you know, he he he's he's upset about this. He literally says, "You didn't have to have him do that. You didn't have to." And he says it multiple times, like angrily. You didn't have to have him do that. And it, like that was a situation where I felt like I didn't have to have him do that. But that's within my like. I mean, I'm the DM, and those are the NPCs, and I don't. That is a difficult question to handle as a DM because I don't know what to say other than tough. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, that is within the DM's square sphere right the dm gets to do whatever the, whatever you want with the npcs and for a player to have that negative of an experience and that negative of a reaction to that is you know i still don't know how else i should have handled that i mean we could have handled it entirely entirely differently but it's kind of a player having their own idea how this should play out and when the when i as the dm play it out the way i see it playing out we're not talking about the same thing. Uh, and, it, and it manifests in some other ways in this game too. But, you know, the things I'm describing, the players, this player in particular, but also I think a lot of the players aren't necessarily hearing clearly. And at least the situations like this, you know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to do with that there. No, I will say that, that um, I don't, that didn't come through in that way on my side of things and it didn't seem like the 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 table was feeling uh it, that way i think that was a little more that the paladin had a certain idea as to as to how this might go or end and the best laid plans of mice and men in a way so i don't think that played out in that way at all during that encounter it it read like a very difficult encounter so nothing wrong with that um, but still with, completely within the purview. Little different than probably what we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Tony, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you ever had a player just kind of totally disagree with the way you had the NPCs handle something? Of course. I mean, but, you know, you're, I keep saying this phrase, you're working with live rounds. Mm. I mean, this is all happening and you're not in the movie. And as Dave once said during one of my games, one of my players disagree with something he was doing. He's like, it's like we're playing D&D. &D. <laughs> it's true. That's true. I mean, like, we do have to remember that sometimes. <laughs> I feel like that gets lost. Like, there was a time where one of um, – I was running a game, and um, one of the players was talking to an NPC who was, was – 
she was part of this evil organization, but they were she got a lot of information. starting to get some information out of her with with some some guile. But I felt like that was coming to a close, so I had one of the NPCs come up behind her and knock her out. And the player who was interacting with her was furious. She was so pissed off. Like, oh, why would you do that? Blah. If you get set and like, you have players who are set how everything should be. I mean, it wasn't that she was just mad at the NPC. She was mad at me as a DM for doing that. It's not like the NPC like decapitated her or anything <laughs> like that, but he knocked her out, you know? And again, you know, also, I, I say these things. The other players aren't all frozen in the cutscene. Like, do something. Wave them off. Give them, like, the, you know, no, don't do that sign. And he would have backed off. But, you know, th- things happen in games. And, you know, we're not using the time stone to rewind things. So. What did you do about that? Like, did, how did you handle that moving forward in that game? Did you do anything? Did you just kind of let it pass and just pick up the next it, game? It, it kind of pa- had to pass. You know, I honestly. Sometimes, and I think I experienced something very similar to what you're talking about, where I had a player upset with me how I handled an encounter in a game, and it wasn't a really pivotal point. Like, you're talking about your player who was attacked by this villain. Mm. Well, I mean, I would turn this back in your situation. So would he have been happier if the anti-paladin had snuck attack the mage and, like, outright killed him? Would that have been a better outcome? I mean, no. In this case, that that player wanted to talk it out and convince the Oathbreaker Paladin to come back, which was something for game for for story reasons. It was not really, at least there was there was no arguments being made that seemed like Easy. they would happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, would it be? T- it's not entirely off the table. I suppose something no, 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 miraculous could be said, but nothing, nothing that was, nothing being said was going to like, like you know, the, these things. You know, the paladin, that anti-paladin's in go, it's it's on its path, and you know, nothing big enough to change that path was happening. You know what I mean? So this player really didn't want to have this as a combat encounter. They wanted to have it as a conversation. In that particular encounter, the part of the reason that didn't happen as a conversation was because the party chose to kind of set up an ambush and start att- and, 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 and launch attacks instead of going and talking to them, which I will admit was not entirely obvious. It wasn't, it was obvious they were sitting there, but it's not like they sent them a message. Hey, come talk to me. You know, it was a dangerous, it was a dangerous encounter. No matter how you looked at it, the party was rightfully fearful, but like if the goal was to talk, the actions taken did not lead to talking. And after the game, I did get some pushback of, well, we did the wrong thing, you know, which I guess I'm saying, but I don't feel like I wanted them to do a right thing. It's just that, you know, logically doing that thing doesn't lead to the outcome you were looking for. And well, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm not in this game. So yeah. from the outside looking in, this is my take on this. So I would say the players. So you have to understand that going into the scenario that you're trying to basically talk like, I don't know, a Count Dooku figure who's fallen from grace, who's really <laughs> bought into this. They're extraordinarily evil. It's not like this guy's shoplifting at Walmart. This guy's an anti-paladin. Rejoin the Jedi Order. (laughs) Yeah, oh my god, that persuasion check. I am such a fool. My bad. Um, But in all seriousness, they had to take into consideration that something to the this might have occurred. Like he may have no interest in, in, in having the parlay with you. He's like, you know what? I want these guys' heads. That's mm. a possibility. So that's just how it rolled. Yeah. No, no Tony, I would, I agree with that. you. I don't think you're wrong with the outside looking in because it falls back into 
uh, what we were talking about with Monty's question too. Mm. And like you said, it's almost like we're playing D and D because you have like with most of our games, like in Woodstock, we have six players. So we have six personalities, six ideas as to what's the best course of action, six characters that you're attempting to role play in the best way possible for that character. Right. It's what my character would do. And not all the characters agree in the same way, you know? Most of the party is kind of there to hunt this paladin down and destroy him and extract information and then possibly kill him. The, the paladin, to his credit, is still trying to redeem this part. You know, he's Luke, right? I still feel good in him, right? But in the end, like, the Emperor is still firing lightning bolts at us, so... Like, we were absolutely setting this up. Nobody was going out to parlay with this dude. You know, we were like, no, we're going to get we're well, draw him in. You know what? I think we'll that, wait here. <laughs> I think that is kind of part of what's causing some of the problem. Okay. First, let me start by saying everything that all of that's fine. Right. But I think, I do think we're getting, I think that is part of kind of feeding this a little bit because, because the one player expects things to play out one way. The party, the rest of the party is really looking to kill this guy. So there's, there's some, you know, the paladin takes one step, the other party members take another step. All together, that doesn't lead to the conversational outcome. And 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 so you have, and yeah. I think that some cases, I, I guess the best place I can put this is I think in some cases, I'm getting blamed a little bit for the party having different goals, which is okay to some extent, but I feel like it's gotten a little toxic. You know, on the other hand, I don't mind the role play at all. The paladin, he... he <laughs> It's it's good role playing. Even denial of the situation is pretty good role playing, except for it's just becoming this. The role play is not the problem. The situation is becoming a little bit toxic. Um, in 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 the game in the the next episode, yeah, you know, which is kind of where like kind of where, where things kind of didn't didn't go. If if that first one kind of that first one, okay, we had a bit of a of a blow up, but then things went well. And I thought like like I really felt like I had a good I had a good encounter plan there too, to be honest with you. I'm like the party gets to be monsters, they get to fight these guys. I got some good no, abilities no, that's going what I'm, on. They're, they're hated. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, with that one, I don't think anyone was reading that differently in that way. No, but well, the, but, the, but the one of the players definitely one, was. Well, no, aside from that, but the subsequent one, as we discussed, definitely ran and and was read completely differently. And this is where we really got into this miscommunication idea. And, and here's and here's what happened. So at the end of that first encounter, the Aracrocra monk gets away, who the party was trying to get. The paladin, they get, they, they, they get him down. He's unconscious. They tie him up. They're going to question him. And we have, so two, we have two weeks between games. They're talking on Facebook about what they want to do. Uh, a lot of the party is talking about how can they question this guy using spells, zone of truth. Like it's, there's kind of three, conver- as I look back now, the party seems like they had a cohesive plan. But as I look back, there were three plans, which is what played out in the game. The one, one side of the party was going to try to use spells to control this guy, like charm and zone of truth to talk to, to talk to him in a more, in a more less hostile way. Another segment of the party wanted to kill him and take his head and question his head using either raise, raise <laughs> dead or, 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 or speak with dead. And then, and then the paladin again just wanted to talk to him and convince him not to do this. All of these things are in character. This is not bad role play. I'm reading all this. At one point it does come up that we shouldn't talk about this in front of the DM, which, you know, that's a red flag. You know, I think to me that kind of, that kind of, from looking back, that's a bit of a red flag to the way this session went. Um, so we come into the session and so I know they have taken a long rest. Now this is a, uh, I will say, level 14 Oathbreaker Paladin against a 10th level party? You guys are 10 now, right? 
No, nine. Nine. Uh, so he's higher level. They take a long rest. He's tied up, but he gets a long rest too. So everyone's fresh, including the paladin with all his powers. Now, one of the things I've been trying to convey to the party, there is this giant, what they call the, the, this, the spaghetti monster, but it's actually a, a great old one. It's a great old one is hatching from inside this planet. It's got an Afwa. It is a, an eldritch power to rival the gods. The whole plot to this game is that this forest, Gadanathwa is why this forest is so overgrown and so wild. If it wants to eat things, it wants to eat conscious, powerful, high experience point effectively things. And it's, the more those it eats, eventually it wakes up, but it gives gifts to the things that feed it. I've been trying to convey this for the entire campaign to the party. What this means in this particular situation, though, is that this paladin is not just an Oathbreaker paladin. He is also powered up because he has been he has been feeding. In retrospect, I wish I had made some of this clearer, but this guy's fed 10,000 souls to Gadanathwa. He has a huge power boost, boost from this great old one, which is part of why he's so tough to fight. Uh, it also means he has some warlock levels. And I have to say, I did not come into this game with my best stuff I, I i didn't convey the warlock levels very well i slipped on some things early like one of the characters was having another kind of experience where she's now communicating with god and she has some other things going on and like we got the whisper kind of confused and i said some things out loud to the party that i wish i hadn't so kind of a clusterfuck to begin with but you know so basically so they have all these things they want to do they've discussed it i'm fine with all of them i want them to talk to this guy i really do like, like, there's nothing I don't like. Like, he's not even lying to them. Like, they're like, they want to put up his own truth. He's not telling any lies whatsoever. But he is a super powerful, jacked up paladin who is stronger than the party. He is the biggest enforcer in the kind of this in this world. You know, he's like the Lancelot of the forest. He's the guy who comes and kicks your ass for the for the high priest who's running all this stuff. So his that NPC is hostile and powerful. And from the beginning, he's looking to get free. Now, they have him tied up. I have him do a survival check to see how well they tied him up. The, the paladin aces the survival check. He rolls a 24, the highest he can roll. But I know what we're going to do now is, okay, you guys have all these things you want to do. He wants to break free. We're going to go into turns. Everyone's going to get their turn. And I know on his turn, he's trying to break free. Now, the party doesn't know this, but I try to make it obvious he's hostile. You know, And then we just go through turn order. He's going like sixth. He tries to break free. Here's where I think things got a little bit can kind of, to me... To the party, they felt like they were all on the same page, but to me, they started doing three different things. The spellcasters were t trying to cast the spells they were talking about, but other party members were telling them, hold on and wait. Other party members, like the paladin, was trying to talk to him and somehow convince him to, to come back to Bahamut in the order, which is fine. He rolled very well, but it wasn't, I mean, he rolled well enough to change the way the paladin was talking to him, but not, he's not going to make, you know, a persuasion check's not, you need to do something else. I don't know what, even know what it was to bring him back. You hit the paladin's turn, the paladin starts trying to break free of his bonds. Now, the paladin had rolled very well. So the, so, I'm sorry, the party's paladin had rolled very well on the survival check. The anti-paladin's having a hard time breaking his bonds. To me, this is all good. The party has to question him on a clock. The paladin's eventually going to roll hard, high enough to break free and become dangerous. The party has rounds before them to talk to this guy, I forgot what they want to talk about, or cast spells in them, whatever they want to do. So there's kind of, it's an, it's an interrogation with a clock. And like, I couldn't be happier with that setup. The rogue and the barbarian in the party have basically react to him trying to break free by starting to shoot him and punch him, which does, of course, undermine trying to convince him to talk to you guys. And at that point, the, the party member who is in touch with Karanathwa 
she takes some action. <laughs> she turns and she turns him invisible. And yeah, you know, she's got her own plan. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what she was going for with that, but she turns the the anti paladin invisible and herself invisible. And that's where I spill the beans because I ask her, did you want to cast out on two people, not just him? And from there, I just feel like I don't know. I mean, Dave, you tell like I mean. So from there, you know, we kind of have a couple rounds of the spells wind up being spells wind up being cast on the PC who seems to be going bad. The paladin spends another turn or two trying to talk to the anti-paladin and convince him to turn good. The rogue and the barbarian are actively hacking on the anti-paladin while he takes his turns to break free. He becomes empowered by Gadanathwa. Like, so he, after a couple turns, I start giving him advantage of his rolls because he starts drawing power from his great old one who's right under his feet. And he eventually breaks free and he summons Gadanathwa's tentacles, Gadanathwa's tentacles. Hilarity ensues. So, Dave, I mean, why don't we start there? Like, I mean, what was your... You have, like, this is my impression of the game, but you had a totally different impression that you and I talked about after the game. So, so what was going on here to you? Yeah, no, so as I said, the, the, the previous encounter that you talked about, I had no issue with. It was a real tough encounter. You gave us a crap ton of boons in terms of polymorphing us and, and having us flying and all of this kind of stuff. So that was, I had no, I had no issue with that at all, you know? Mm. <clears throat> this one, though, felt very much... Everything you said, as you explain it that way, that's kind of what went down. And I can see you uh, reading the situation like that. On the other side of the screen, for me, where it started to go strange or bad, because um, I we, we talked about it. And I said, by the end of it, it became a session that was just unfun, uh, yeah. which is just kind of the, the, the hallmark of what we don't want to try to get to. It happens. Just get ready for it, people, because you're going to have games that are that are just not no one's going to like them. But what it felt like more. So we talk about this a lot with like first and second edition where, you know, it was the DM's world. It was, you know, the, the DM was the god of the world. And whatever you say is the truth. That still is the case. No doubt. And I totally get that. But we have always kind of couched that within that we are all still, you know, learning the 5e system. We're kind of playing within the bounds of that. And for me, on the other side, certain things that were beginning to occur became less about ways in which you could actively do that without just being like, yeah, just do it. Which when you start, when that starts to happen, even if that's not necessarily the case, but if your players are reading it like that, just like they can read when you're making an encounter too soft, they can read an encounter that feels like it's bullshit. That no matter what we do or what we roll or how we we try to solve this puzzle, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. And for me, I was absolutely feeling that way. And I could tell from some of the talk around the table, around the table, yeah. as if we're around the fucking table, <laughs> around but the around the table, that that was too. And for me, that's just, Okay, well, that's where it was. And you and I talked about it over a phone call, uh, you know, a couple of days after to explain it. And in the end, it really doesn't matter because you have your your read of it and our read of it. But obviously something went wrong. So where do you go from there? You know, but for me, if the rest of the table is like, no, then there has to be some sort of give there. There has to be something that happens or, or a, a discussion needs to occur so that people understand that it's not just DM bullshit. It's not just I have a certain story that I want to play out and you guys are really fucking it up, uh, whatever it might be. You know, like if you guys get something over on Strahd, 
you're going to very quickly know if all of a sudden, why isn't he being affected by sunlight all of a sudden? You know what I mean? That would be like this, wait, what the fuck is that? Like, you know what I mean? And it wasn't something things, as egregious what, as that, but that's how it was reading. But but I mean, but here's where it's becoming, I mean, because that, that is what you and I had talked about. Um, yeah. when you had mentioned a couple things that, that, that had actually, that specifically led to that one was that we play in roll 20 and sometimes you forget to turn off your advantage or disadvantage. So you wind up making a roll with advantage when you don't have it. Yeah. And traditionally what we have done with that is you take the leftmost roll. Yeah. Um, there was a point later in the game where you pointed out, so, so in this encounter and, and there's something we forgot about that. And I'll tell you, and here's why this was working that way. Um, so in this encounter, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, there was a point where, where one of the characters had made a roll with advantage on and I made them re-roll the roll. I was making characters re-roll all the rolls, I believe. Yeah, yeah, if, they, if that was happening. Yeah, which we never do, so it's like, okay. Well, there's a reason weird. for that. I, when I went back over the tape, I remembered why. Um, so Tom, uh, the, the paladin made the, uh, made the, made the tie-up roll with advantage, and he, and he rolled very well. He, he rolled a, a, a natural 20. The very first uh, Brother Maynard escape roll, the very first one, I accidentally left on advantage and the leftmost roll was a natural 20 on him, which was a 26 to escape. So I rerolled that. And that was why that, and you can go check that in, in, in the okay. chat. That was why I did that the rest of the game. Clearly though, I didn't communicate it well enough, but that was a little bit, okay, today, like once I did that, I was like, all right, everyone's going to reroll their, their, their advantage and disadvantage, their, their mistaken advantage and disadvantage because of that. Because had I not done that, he would have broken free right away. I didn't really want that. And it had been a mistake. You know, I mean, and I felt like it would have been crushing to have the paladin be like, OK, I rolled a natural 20 on my tie up roll. The pal, the anti paladin rolls a natural 20 on his escape. Boom. He's just right out. You know, I wanted yeah. that to go on a little longer. I wanted to get five or six turns out of it. Well, I guess we got three turns out of it. <sighs> yeah. And it's like it, it's but like, well, like I said to you, it, it issues, becomes you know? it becomes it, what it became, I think, was the death of a thousand cuts. So it wasn't any one thing that was this egregious uh, offense, but it was all of these that led up. And in the end, regardless of what our what our communication is, what our intentions are, where do you go from here? You know, because if your players are just they they it's it's created an atmosphere of distrust or of animosity or of an us versus the them kind of thing. That's not healthy. So we're so regardless of how that went, where does a where do players and DMs go? At that point, you see what I mean? Because you have to, because if that, then the players are just going to be like, well, fuck it then, I'm out, you know? If, if it's that, and then that's not helpful for anyone, right? That's awfully high stakes to have one bad game and all of a sudden the game's like on the rocks, you know? I mean, that's, you know... Well, that's, I, I think that for me, that's not the case, but um, I think what we need to investigate then is that's obviously something that's built over time then. So getting to the just like, uh, you know, marriages and, and, and relationships, uh, it's usually not one thing that happens and everyone's like, whatever. Uh, but it's this it's the death of a thousand cuts. It's the small things that build over time that maybe don't get talked about. But then as they build, these things start to happen. So if there's not this open line of communication that can start to really build that grind. I think. And I think that happens in a lot of games, you know? So, and that's exactly what we're talking about. That's, that's miscommunication at its most, at its most high because it's miscommunication over sessions probably. Right. Tony? Very well said, Dave. I've actually been holding on to a point, <laughs> a point here for like a hot 10 minutes <laughs> with the, related to the previous segment, but you transitioned into this whole 
fuel. I didn't want to, like, you know, throw the flag out. So what I think happened was with the angry players in the, in the previous situation where I had a player who was suddenly really angry and you had a player who was suddenly very unhappy. We're talking back to the psychology of this is that, like, as a DM, I personally know, like, I've been in situations where I'm trying to do a big review or launch a very important point. And the players just completely muck it the hell up. You know, like I was doing a Ravenloft campaign one time 20 years ago. And, you know, they go to meet Strahd and it's like, oh, blah, Strahd. You know, they're all they're all freaking screwing up my, my scene. And I understand both of these players, I suspect, both of them were, I'm imagining to some extent, the actor type players. And they don't like their scene getting wrecked. They identified, like, this is my scene. I have an opportunity to take the stage. And when my NPC knocked out the person where she was interacting with, I cut her scene short. This guy apparently had this whole thing built up in his head. He's waiting for his moment to sit there and redeem this guy or launch that. And then you came out of nowhere and lanced him. So... <laughs> That's the way it played out, but I understand the psychology behind it. So, you know, I understand that. But two things here have been to have seemed to be building up a little bit in a way that's, I think, leading to some issues here. One is, like I said, if that was the goal, the party didn't act in a way to facilitate that goal. Which normally I'm, you know, I'm fine letting the party, the, the party members each do their own thing. But when it kind of, when they start blocking each other, it, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's. Yeah, I guess I can kind of cut more time out for it. You're starting to feel now why I do so many team building exercises during my games. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing going on in the game is I've been I've been building up God Anathwa in the power and sacrificing the God Anathwa this entire campaign. And then when I start rolling out the God Anathwa powers, the players are reacting as if that's just bullshit. And that is something else that's gotten to be like, because I'm starting to feel like, well, you know, it's one thing when the like when the when the paladins like you say, oh, God Anathwa is lying to you, his powers aren't real. It's like, okay, that's good role play. But when all the players kind of, when you actually bring out those powers and the players all act like, well, they're not real, they're just the DM bullshit. The DM wants this to go the way he wants it to go. Now that's a total miscommunication. I've been trying to build up a world where this eldritch thing inside the earth is giving out real power to things that feed its sacrifices. And you are going to run into things getting real power from it feeding its sacrifices. You can feed its sacrifices to get real power. Like that is part of the tension of the game. Does the party want to want to start using that or do they want to totally skew that? And the party's chosen they don't want to use that for the most part, which is great. But like that doesn't mean the powers don't work. Like I actually have a sheet of gifts that the NPCs get from the from the amount of sacrifices they've made and how they build devotion. On that sheet is things like the NPC gets a free warlock level, or the PC, or the character gets a free warlock level. The character gets gets all sorts of boosts to, to 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 hit points, to 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 experience if it's a PC, to to its rolls, to its damage, all those sorts of things. Like these are things that build up as they sacrifice more and more. And I'm trying to reveal them through having these NPCs wield significant power. One of the other abilities is that like once you hit like the third level, you can open up cracks to this thing, to this to the Gadanathway. You can open up these cracks through which you can feed it sacrifices, which become major battlefield terrain. And two of those, and, and both the paladin and the and the Arcoker monk can do that, which lets them put out wall, effectively walls that if the players get too close to them, hit them for 2d10 and grapple them and try to pull them down. It's, you know, extra tension. Um, but that's but the whole part of Gadanathwa. Like, <laughs> yeah, but in the end, though, we you kind of got on, you kind of hit the point 
perfectly is that it comes down to you've been trying to say this the whole time, right? The way in which you see the campaign in your head and the way in which you've communicated these things while we're playing, you see a certain way. And all the time, how often do we all see the story completely in our head and our players are seeing snippets of the movie, right? They're not seeing the cutscene to when the villain is going, ha ha ha, I'm going to get that, right? We don't see that in D&D. We see that on TV and movies, right? So if you're communicating that and then all of your players then turn around and go, what? Then is the best way to say, well, this is this is where I put it all there. And this is why you guys are are kind of wrong. And this is why I'm right. Just kind of creates more of that that same us versus them thing, because you're just saying, well, yeah, but I had all this stuff, you see, and you open up the door and you pull it all out, you know, but if everyone else is going, what are you talking about, dude, then where do you go from there? Because that's, that doesn't create more by saying, well, all you guys are just, you just didn't hear it right. Like I, my mom, always, my mom always used to say, you know, when I would like cross the street, right. And I'd be like, Hey, pedestrians got right away. And she was like, well, yeah, you can write that on your tombstone. You know, mm. like it doesn't so matter how right you may, may or may not be if it's not either coming through or if it creates or helps to create more animosity at the table. That's not helpful, I don't think, right? What either well, of you guys do you do about that? it, though? I mean, if that's, exactly. that's what we're kind of getting at. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'd love to hear what else I could have done here. Like, like, like Dave, you were there. No, no, no. What no, else no. Could I have I, I'm saying from this point, no, I don't know. And for me, there has not been, and that's why it was so striking this this last uh, session that we had was because I haven't felt like that the entire campaign. I haven't felt like that. But as a player now in this campaign for going on two years and as a DM, I was looking at this encounter and being like, nope, this is I, I do not like the way that this is being run. I don't like I don't like the way it's feeling from our side. I don't think that some of the stuff that's happening is good adjudication. Uh, and that was me being as objective as I could in that situation. I'm not a new player. I'm not somebody that doesn't understand the rule set. So and that's why I kind of brought it to you in that way is because, dude, this is how it's reading to me. So God knows how it's reading to people that still go, wait, how many hit points can this guy possibly have? You know, like it's it's going to read very poorly to to other people then, too. You know, I think what happened here was and Thorne may have been saying this from, you know, episode one. That's quite possible. This is <laughs> what I'm taking out here. So <laughs> you beat down Darth Vader and, you know, he's trying to break free. Now, they expected to, I would have handled this completely different. Like if I was a warlock or I was a paladin or something, I would have had a sword to this guy's neck and be like, knock it off, stop trying to break free. And at which point well, they then, did. Would have, Actually, they we, did. we had two swords yeah. at his neck. So, <laughs> so you know, I, but I, you know, there isn't really an instant death roll in five in fifth edition. And this guy's like I said, he's jacked up on on, on sacrifice power. So they're chipping. Had the party decided to kill him and everyone just attacked him, they would have killed him. They two of the party members started hitting him. And one of the party members started to try to free him. Two of the other two spellcasters started trying to deal with her. And the paladin kept trying to convince him to to turn, which, you know, while while, while I respect the role playing, is not really we what players we are like, trying to kill. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank God. That was that was never Thank gonna happen. God. 
your players really talked us out over the two-week break. But anyway. They um, did. That's what, that was what drove me nuts about it. Like, I'm like, just right. like, like had there been one cohesive plan the whole party had executed, that would have worked. It's right. just it was one going this way, one going this way, one going this way. And then as I'm rolling out the stuff, like, I mean, Dave, I understand what you're saying. But if yeah. I keep saying this is because he's empowered by God and Othwa and you can get this power too, and the party keeps telling I, me, no, it's not, mm, I don't know what that, to say. I, 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 well, no, I think that's not the point at all. What I'm trying to say here is yeah. that, so you've got this guy and he is tied up and you guys rolled a 20. So he's feeling he's very secure. Now he only was able to be restrained for three rounds. The fact that these powers, which exist in your worlds were rolled out in this encounter. I mm. think that's what, where the rubber hit the road. They weren't, this is where you debuted them. And it made it seem like he had plot armor that allowed him to escape. Well, I yes. get that, except no, that these powers were, Be- because these powers were introduced restrained. before. But no, that's the difference, though. That's the biggest difference, is that he was restrained. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, and not like, you know, just his hands in little handcuffs or zip ties. He was effectively hogtied. So mm-hmm. somatic components are out. Material components, out. So, and and the problem is, is that, my verbal, somatic, and material components matter when I'm when I'm casting certain he things. He didn't cast spells. But he no, no. Well, he, 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 did, he did to to bring up the to to summon Gadanathwa and effectively just dispel and destroy Lehman's tiny hut with no explanation. Well, the explanation there was Gadanathwa, the great old one's tentacles were summoned and it came up and dispelled the hut as it came through it. I, I don't, I mean, am I supposed to let, like, what does Lehman's Tiny have? A fourth level spell? Uh, somewhere, probably around there. Third, I mean, fourth, is a fourth level like spell stopping um, Cthulhu's will? I, again, again. So my point being is that you absolutely had all of this stuff there, but Tony is making a point too, is that if this stuff wasn't seen in that way, where you ha- you effectively have, it's like the police finally get the serial killer and put him in the back of the thing, and then he just phases out. And you're like, wait, where the fucking things have come from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, except many of these things were on display when the first fight with our Kang, with the monk, with the with the staff of power. Uh-huh. Now, he also was using this. You guys have seen those tentacle walls a couple times. I understand the party. They're supposed to be difficult to deal with. Like they're supposed to change things. I don't feel like they're overpowered, but I understand. Like like I don't think the party sees those and doesn't like them and isn't recognizing what I'm trying to say with them, which is you know that tentacle power is the same one you saw we've seen in two other fights before now him getting out was just a matter at one point he did just get empowered more by god because he's got an loyal servant yeah so i started giving him advantage on those rolls after a couple turns because he's yeah you know i mean is that dm bullshit that the great old one beneath the forest decides that they're they're like number two guy is going to get a little more help no, i guess i mean no none of it is but again not the point because the if you explain something to your girlfriend or your wife and they don't they don't take it like let me know if you're sleeping on the couch that night you know like you can say you're fucking right all you want it's not gonna it doesn't change how someone is feeling about it right and if we don't address that then that just turns something that's possibly on edge into something really different which is exactly what you're saying you don't want to have happen and you're kind of that's why we're we're kind of airing all of this stuff to yeah. try to see where do you go from here? And I don't think saying where we go is like, this is how I'm right. How do I convey these things elsewise to get people to understand them? 
I think better yet is find out what are the people's like Tony always asks. Tony, you always say like, what what are you liking? What are you liking about the campaign? What are you not liking? And you don't want to just hear or how was the game? You don't want to hear great game. Like I don't fucking care about that, right? What is going on? Like what do you feel is good, bad, indifferent, whatever? And I don't think any of us do that a lot. And for the most part, I don't think we have to. But I think this is a good example of times where maybe we need to find out, like, what do you guys like? Talk to me, you know, like, let me know. Like, I talk to you, right? Hell, I talk to you every week, right yeah, here. Yeah, we have DMs, We talk right? about <laughs> Exactly. So yeah. it's it's much more open communication. But how often? I don't know what the other players really are thinking. You know what I mean? So. I think that's really you know, sometimes we have to have those hard those hard uh, hard hearts, you know. No, I, I, I think that's very that's honest, and I have to tell you, yeah, I mean, like fairly recently within the last two months, in my game, you know, I revealed some plot points, and they're like, okay, we're doing great. In the next game, like, so what exactly is <laughs> <Are> happening? <laughs> and you know, there was a lot of, you know, and then I'm like, well, I explained that. And then players I'm are like. Thorin was the first one to ask that. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. And I'm like, and, it, and on this point where I'm but right, was, I kind of let I, this I go, but I can tell you. Get it. But also, I mean, it was, it was, it was, that was, that was asking, but that was like a, I got, you know, I didn't understand why we were doing what we're doing. And I, okay, so, so, so what is going on here? What am I missing here? Why don't we just do this? And we talked, but, but I mean, it was, we talked about it. Well, I mean, this is a point where I had to, on paper, I was right. Like, I don't know, I could point to three different points where I, I brought something up. And then it's like, hmm, okay. is this yeah. a thing? And I'm like, dude. <laughs> but we, that feedback made me restructure it and go, okay, let's have a moment since there's confusion and lay it out. So like, where are we? I mean, I got, I have some, I had some guys throwing in piecemeal things. Like some of them was good and some of it was close and some of it was like way off. We're talking about miscommunications. I was saving this for my section. I've had situations where I've had players arguing with me in different campaigns about plot events that really did not happen that way at all. And like, yeah. yeah, no, this is exactly why I'm here. And I'm like, that is not your backstory. I, I like the uh, the listening audience to understand that uh, our party is so fucking off the ball that Tony has just decided to sell us clues. He's literally, here's a thousand gold pieces. Go buy a fucking clue, literally, from the sky ball. Uh, you know what? No, I don't see it like that. Um, one of my articles I've kind of put out there where players want to do things. One of the things was they want to use their money for stuff. Well... I'm going to allow – man, I'm spoiling everything. I'm going to allow <laughs> you in my economy to purchase my plot ideas. Here it is. Here's, here's where a sub-quest is, and I'm charging you for this. Go buy I'm the worst. clue. I'm terrible. Uh, that's but, I mean, I've um, had miscommunication situations where, yeah, I've had people literally arguing with me. Like, I'm the son of the Duke. And I'm like, no. That has literally come like, up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you worked for the Duke. He, well, he was like a father to me. You worked for the Duke. Like, you know. So, I mean, I feel you. But, yeah, from that feedback, it should be a good point to where it's like, okay. So, everyone's not as nearly clear as where I thought we were. 
that was kind of like my reality check. And then I'm like, all right, so let's let's talk about where we are. And once we were able to establish that, it was it was fine. And I think, Thor, you may be in the same position there, too. To some extent, but I also think there's a little bit of pushback on, you know, what I'm getting is pushback on, is that actually what Gadanoff way is? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I feel like the pushback is a little bit less, did we miss a plot point and a little bit more, we don't want this to be what this is. Because, like, I mean, that, that came up, like, a little bit like in that Paladin conversation. Because I do, you know, Dave, T, like, so we've had some friction, I'd say, three of the last four games around these kinds of things. And it kind of feels, it, it feels more like, you know, as the story is playing out, the party is pushing back on the, the, the kind of the creative parts of it, like what the villain actually is. And that's why I keep saying, I don't know how else to handle this. I mean, I could change well, it. Again, we, get, we get back to, we get back to that frost giant question. Do you change your entire campaign to fit the way the party wants to engage? No, 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 no. And I don't think, I think these are actually two different things. Like I think what Tony is saying is a good point because he's saying how like we were maybe a little, we kind of had the plot, but there were so there were a lot of moving ports with storm Kings yeah. and we weren't all on the same page, which actually I think works in terms of actually narrative within the story because, you yeah. know, the characters are piecing things together, right? As a as a quick aside, though, because I'm just going to – I generally name drop at some point. But I actually was doing this during the Slaver's Bay campaign, uh, something Matt Colville uh, talks about, which is kind of like taking the temp of the campaign by having the PCs recap the previous session. Yeah. There are pros and cons to it, but one thing it does do is it tells you what are they finding is important in terms of plot, and then quickly, you know, being able to, to either retcon that or whatever you need to. So, definitely something if you want to go check out Matt Colville's thing about about that on his running the game series. But with our campaign, it's not as much about plot because I think we're actually pretty on point generally with the plot you know most of us have the big players in mind we might not know all the machinations but it's not a plot thing as much and again for me as a player i haven't had that kind of sense of a of a gamer encounter uh until this last one and that's the one and that's why i said ah you know it just didn't feel right um I think this does, in the end, though, and this is what I want to kind of get back to, is it's the psychology of D&D. We're bringing ourselves to the table and we're playing out through these characters. So everything that's happening in your world is going to be brought to the table, too. And we might not want to do that. You know, we want to be able to sit down and have a good time and forget the world's troubles. And obviously, the world's in a lot of trouble right now. Mm. Um, that's going to affect you. You know, um, th that's that's going to affect you. Uh, so I think that can then and that's what I think has been happening, because this group, we never had that kind of feel when we were all sitting around a table. And I know we've talked about this several times. The move to roll 20 was more difficult with us because there was there wasn't that same thing. Um, so I think that's probably started to kind of little sandpaper on it right and maybe we just okay we'll go to the next session okay okay and then but i think these things build and then i think we bring our own stuff into the table all of us right we're, we're all because we're all human and i think that can really really take things that aren't a big deal because it's a fucking game right like we're playing D D, like chill but sometimes it doesn't feel like that you know it feels like it's an infringement on us, on our identity, on who we think we are, our self-worth. Like these massive things that are crazy, but that's how we think. 
You know, so I think maybe it's just getting amplified. So sometimes I think there has to be that that real communication like you and I had where we really got on the phone and, and hashed it out so that it didn't create a thing that caused actual problems in our friendship. Like that's nonsense, you know, um, or cause actual problems in the game and, and friendships there, too. So I think that's that's something that everyone needs to kind of um, remember, too, especially during these times, you know. So there you go. There's my little Mr. Rogers heart to heart. <laughs> I do like your sweater, Fred. You like that? I'm wearing it tonight. There you go. I'm so, not. I'm wearing a Superman T-shirt. Deal with it. So I, I, I do like just flat, like, like direct language. What would you have liked me to have done different in that game? Uh, it's that's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one because, um, for me, it was because the way in which we had, uh, the upper hand in it, and I just. Some of the things that occurred, again, I don't think it was one thing. It wasn't some egregious thing. It was, again, and again these little things that you start to go. And then if you're already frustrated, right, because mm-hmm. it's just going, then it's really going to get frustrated. Then uh, we had this in the Art Kang fight. Remember when you dropped us in the middle of the forest afterwards and everyone went, oh. it was more because I think everyone was just frustrated. Now, that was just because it was a hard fight, right? But it was frustrating and then you're you're like you know you're actually frustrated in your own body uh in your own mind so that's then comes out into the into the role play um yeah i mean that was that was the and when i say that like there's been like this three of the last four sessions that was the first of those four sessions yeah you know there's been some friction i think think you need to find out you know how i feel about it and for me those sessions weren't an issue this last one i had a little issue we talked about it I think, you know, I think talking to whoever is is open and not as a big group, because people don't do well with talking in groups. Right. But even as an individual, like, hey, man, like, is everything going OK? Like, is there anything like that you really feel like you're I'm screwing you over or or, you know, this is also how I'm kind of having a feel. I'm trying to run this thing. This is what I'm looking for. You know, hopefully most of the people are listening to this excellent podcast that we have <laughs> so they can hear this. But maybe you know, know, I, they won't hear it for like three weeks. We'll be, we'll yeah, be. <laughs> I think there's time. I think there's times, though, where you can uh, you, you might have to talk with people individually, you know, and just say, hey, what's what's going on? You know, like, is is, is everything cool? Is there anything I can I can do to, to help you understand this better or you help me understand it better? You know, like we do with, with any friendship which honestly has also been i mentioned coming into that game i wasn't like i didn't i didn't dm very well that game like i i definitely had some some moments in that game beyond the part where i'm like well why don't you guys get this there were moments (laughs) where i misplayed things and i will say like i mean i've had a lot of work coming into this we had a lot we've had some things i've had some disruptive things uh in the family life and this this is a little bit the problem with it because okay i'm coming in and i'm not bringing my best stuff and i'm not in like but there's not like a lot of forgiveness there, right? Like it's not like, oh, it was a bad game, move on. In addition to that, it's this takes a lot of time. Going yeah. and talking to every individual. You and I were on the phone for like an hour after this. Going to talk to every individual member is like, you know, it's and it's not that I don't want to talk to people, it's just we have a real life outside of this. So you wind up asking oh. the question, how much time do you have to spend DMing? You know, between yeah. prepping, between all the other stuff you're doing. And that was like, so I haven't reached out to anyone, but you like you and I had the conversation right after that, but I've had work projects that sure. you know have prevented me from taking any other steps. I haven't really even dealt with this game at all since then. And now it's, yeah, we're like, we're like uh, four or five days after it. So that's but like, the again, other I don't like, think it's something that has it. to happen. 
all at once every game. But obviously, this is something that has grown over time. You've noticed it. It hasn't corrected itself. Sometimes these things will correct themselves. We have a crappy session. The next session is awesome, right? Yeah. But if you keep, if something is just boom, 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 okay, something's here. So I think a good, uh, a good uh, thing for DM some actionable advice is get ahead of this stuff. If something doesn't seem to be changing, it's like the, um, you know, if your, uh, if your shoulder is bothering you, well, give it like, <laughs> give it three, four days. If it's still bothering you, go see somebody, right? But you know, you don't have to run to the doctor immediately. But uh, if it's not changing or it's getting worse. That's a time I think maybe Advil or a doctor's visit is proper. Not Advil, though, people. Don't hide your pain, okay? Go talk to a good therapist, like an inner circle rehab where we have. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> that's right. That's why I just plugged my other company. There, there you go. go. That's how I do it. Free advertising, inner circle. <laughs> so, all right. And we, we've gone way too long uh, on, 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 on our game there. Uh, we do have one other uh, one other. Uh, listener question we wanted to get to tonight which is and this is a little bit so we've kind of gone from the uh misunderstanding to, to, to the players not quite respecting the world through this through 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 you know what is somewhere you know in my opinion a little bit that and, and 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 also just like some some negative feelings building up and now we have a question about a dm whose kind of party isn't fulfilling their end of things so this this is a bit of an odd tackle maybe I wanted to make sure we hit it somewhere so quote I'm a new DM and I have a party of six. I have asked my party to write me a one pager for their backstory. Two of them wrote me one. I guess the other four didn't. So my question is, what is a healthy way to ask my other players for their backstories without sounding antagonistic? Well, okay. So you give a gentle gentle reminder and be like, so what's going on with your character? And if they're not feeling it, just say they're they're not interested in this at all. And I have been in situations where I've had players Mm -hmm. who are not interested in putting forth a backstory whatsoever and that's absolutely fine however here's my caveat don't complain to me when one you don't have a good feel of your character four or five games in because you had a very shaky starting point or two you're unhappy that i'm using plot points with a character who has a defined backstory because isn't that the, really the reason why we're asking you to put a backstory together you're yeah. going to help me narrate a little bit you're going to give me some things I could work with, and then I'm tossing the hook out. Yeah. A player chooses not to you know, follow up on their own backstory. That's on them. And I've been in that situation, too, where I'm like, so don't you want to face the undead knights? Oh, no, no. We really got to deal with these dwarves first. I heard that copper mine. Yeah, there may be some extra gold in there. So we'll get to the undead knights, you know, maybe next month. And I'm like, okay. But... You know, that kind of lands in the realm of uh, player agency. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, exactly what Tony said. Um, and you, you guys know I love backstory. I, I write the hell out of these things. Um, but, uh, and I look for them for my players too. But if you don't want to bring me one, that's fine. That's no big deal. Uh, I might ask you a couple of questions. I might see if we can flesh out something. And then for the listener who's doing it, you don't have to have, this massive backstory from first, they might not be into that, or they might not realize that, 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 that they're into that. They might fall into it later. So you don't have to create a whole thing before game one. Uh, you got to know who they are. You got to know maybe where they're from and what do they do? Okay. No big deal. Look at what their background is. Uh, what you can start to do, which is I do, uh, I'll just throw out something in the middle of the game. I'll throw out either. It's one of the secrets or clues. I might throw out some, 
some reference. They might have a dream or something where I'll throw out a little bit of, of what I kind of am seeing as some of their backstory and see if they bite. If they bite, I might flesh that out. If they don't, I move on. No big deal. Uh, Thorne, I've done this uh, multiple times with uh, Shannon's characters. Uh, where Because Shannon doesn't give a ton of backstory, and that's fine. i got no issue with that. So I'll throw a couple things out. You bite, you don't bite. That's no problem. We, we move on, right? But at least you're at least you're giving the player the opportunity without making it this, where's your backstory? Give it to me. Why haven't you written three pages yet? You know? Um, and maybe they want to develop it down the road. You don't know. This actually is a perfect example of Bonnie's character, Ojin, in the Woodstock game, is that one of the reasons that I think she's doing this whole uh, warlock uh, thing is because she had no real... <clears throat> The character was feeling flat for her because she didn't really have a lot of backstory. And most of her characters that she does now have a lot. And they're very, they are a whole character. They they have personality and everything. And she didn't feel that. So she's like, I need to have something. So she started to find motivation down the road, right? And that's obviously led to some interesting decisions. But uh, they might come to it later on. You know, the audience member very well could turn into the actor you know, halfway through the, the campaign. So you don't have to have something immediately. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, you know, I, I'm reiterating what Tony said. It is, I think it's a DM. Uh, it is important to kind of do the, 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 the touch base without really getting antagonistic about things. You know, Hey, how's it coming? Hey, when can I expect, you know, what, what, when, when we, what are you going to have this done? If you're not going to do this, you know, Traditionally in my games, I have very often given players backstory. Uh, a lot of times I'm teaching new players to play. They don't come in wanting to build a backstory. They don't even come in knowing what to do with it. So I'll say, okay, you're this, you're that, you know, here's where you were. And I'll just give it to them. And, I, and it's pretty light, but it gives them something to work with and something I can work with in the world. And I'm fine with that. You know, I, I do think you need to understand that not every player wants to sit down and come up with a one page backstory. You know, uh, even, you know, my characters, my characters feel pretty fleshed out, but they're like, two paragraph backstories they're pretty tight yeah. you know they're it's yeah. not a lot it's 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 here are the major things here's what drives him here's here's what he went through and okay you know he, and here's why he's adventuring um so i think you can you you can you know lean on them a little bit i wouldn't get antagonistic about it unless you feel it's really important like if you absolutely flat out have to have backstory in your game then you should boot them you know, if you have to have players with backstory, if that is like that is like a thing for you, like you want fully fleshed characters from all of your players and you're seeing four of your players aren't giving you backstories, well, those four players are not going to play the kind of game you're looking to play. So you need to think about that. For me, it's never been that important. Like, so I'm not someone who's doing a game where it's going to be like a, like an audio player. It's going to be like a, like a, like a co-written novel. I'm going to get them into action. We're going to play it out. We're going to, they're going to define their characters by what they do in the game. Mm. That to me is, you know, in that kind of style, it's not that big a deal. Give them something to work with and recognize, okay, this player's not that, doesn't really, isn't that invested in the backstory, see how they play the character out. They might have a flat character. Maybe there's someone who's kind of quiet. Not everyone's a star. You know, not everyone wants to get the spotlight in a D&D game. So mm -hmm. side, if you're okay with that, I would just go ahead and roll with it. You know, I touch base with them. You don't want to let them, you don't want to feel let them feel like you forgot about it. You want to, you want to mention it to them a couple of times, but then I would move on. All right. All right. So guys, I think, you know, we've been going on for a little while here. Let's get to some final thoughts and wrap this up. You know, what are your final thoughts on, you know, how to handle DM player miscommunication? Well, I think a lot of things happen uh, behind the scenes that are not said. So checking with your players is a, uh, is very advisable. 
if you're looking for a backstory, then yeah, then encourage them. If they're not going, they're really into that, then, you know, so be it. Look for the driving factors. I've had players come to me with explosive backstories and then they're like well what about this portion where you know i uh in my entry i interact with the elven king are we gonna ever touch on that and i'm like i'm trying so that is the downside of backstory sometimes you gotta yeah it maybe you didn't plan on going that direction yeah you know and i don't want to squash anything creative that you did like thank you for you know adding that that's fantastic but um you know, sometimes it, it can be almost like, okay, I appreciate you trying to help me guide the story. Please, you know, you're not co-writing the story for me in the same breath. Yeah, to, to avoid miscommunications, you got to just, you know, check in with everybody periodically as needed. You start feeling a weird vibe during the game, then uh, it's time. But you, Dave? Uh, oh, man, we we covered so much tonight. This was like... This was, like, a very special episode of Three Wise Dads. Remember back in, like, the sitcom days, it was always a very special episode, you know, and they were dealing with some real, real heavy, deep stuff. That's this episode right here. This is the Jesse Spano is on speed, and I got to get her off, you know. It's real Saved by the Bell stuff. It, this all boils down to, like I said, the psychology of D&D. And it's a game. It is D&D. It's fun. But people are bringing themselves to the table. And you will see all the things that you would see in relationships. It's just going to happen. That's the, the nature of people. So that happens. Okay, no big deal. Uh, for the most part, it probably isn't going to affect the game. For the, most, most sessions and campaigns go by too bad. As we discussed, if something is starting to obviously become an issue, that's when you might need to start discussing something. Yeah, I mean, we, oh, we, we covered so much. Whew. We did. Really? Actually, we kind of covered one thing in in in, in great very deep. We didn't even get to the second half of the fight. We didn't even tell people what what happened, but it led to more problems. So tune in next episode. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna re- I don't know if we're gonna open that can of worms up again. So is that uh, anything else, Dave? Is that your final thoughts this week? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. Good questions though from uh from Monty and uh, yeah. Who was the other one? Who, who said? You don't have a name on the other one, so I'm gonna oh, go back and see people. if I can What's see- your names? Put yeah, I'm gonna go people. back and see if see if I missed it. I'll, if if I if I missed it, I'll add your name in the uh, in the session in the podcast notes. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, we don't have a we don't have a we don't have a name on the first one. But Monty and 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 the other unnamed caller. Thank you both for 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 yeah. Input, seriously, so. keep sending them in. It really uh, we love them. We love them. So 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 for my final, you know, everyone's everyone has a bad day. Sometimes they go very bad. You know, I have a bad day DMing and Dave is literally here five minutes ago comparing it to a teen drug episode of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> you have a bad I'm session that gets compared to teen drug addiction. You know, you try to roll with it the best you can. And, you know, yeah, I gotta, we're going to have to talk to the players and figure out exactly what we can do to, to get this back on track. And I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it. As far as like, am I going to, what am I going to, what kind of adjustments am I going to make to the campaign or, or, or what's going to happen from there? You know, it's, it's miscommunication and it happens on, it, it, it happens on multiple levels i think i mean there's story miscommunication then there's kind of world miscommunication and and miscommunication as to the nature of the threats you're dealing with and you know this is something where you can't necessarily just deal with it by clarifying here's what's going on because sometimes people are like well i don't like what's going on and from there well what do we do we're going to talk that out maybe we will have a revisit as far as we'll touch base at some point later to talk about how this campaign turned out or i'm here to tell you about my new campaign set in (laughs) ebra perhaps perhaps roman pre-roman gaul 
So guys, a great time talking with you tonight, Dave. Thank you very much. Uh, we, we we went pretty deep on that stuff. So I appreciate uh, your, I appreciate your input there and your insight and your honesty. All right. Well, that's what you got to be, right? Uh, hopefully that's, it, there wasn't as much maybe actionable advice this time around in the same way, but this is how sometimes you got to talk about stuff. People, I, you know, just, I, think you gotta, a, I think there was a lot of actual advice in this podcast because this is, I mean, this is the hard stuff, right? A lot yeah, of that's what I'm saying. Like, us, this, we've is, done it, yeah. this is what you have to do. And this was the conversation we had in a way personally on the phone, you know, because everybody's sitting around the table. You're all friends, man. We're all adults at this point. Like, you got to be able to talk to, to each other sometimes, you know? And for everyone listening at home, thanks again for tuning in for another episode of Three Wise DMs. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much uh, for, for following the podcast, for following us on Facebook and on Twitter. Please, if you have any questions you'd like to hear us talk about, any feedback for us or anything you want to tell us about how the podcast is going, drop us a line either on Facebook or Twitter. We're very responsive there. Or you can reach us at threewisedms at gmail.com and through the What's Your Problem field on the Three Wise DMs website. If you're listening to this as a podcast, your podcast platform definitely has a way for you to review it. We would really appreciate it if you give us a five-star our rating if you think we deserve it big help to us and it really helps the podcast get out there and you know hey if you like it tell your friends please share us on facebook share us on twitter share us on instagram we appreciate any help you can give us and any anything you can do to help boost the signal that's it we'll see you next time on three wise dms